Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Ed Amar to the podcast today. Anthony Award nominated E.A. Amar's most recent thriller, They're Gone, was published in 2020 to rave reviews in Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, where it got a starred review, and was named one of the best books of 2020 by the South Florida Sun Sentinel. His next novel, No Home for Killers, is coming out in 2023 by Thomas and Mercer. His column, Decisions and Revisions, appears monthly in the Washington Independent Review of Books. He's a former member of the National Board of the International Thriller Writers and for years was the managing editor of The Thrill Begins, an online resource for debut and aspiring writers. He's also an active member of Crime Writers of Color, the Mystery Writers of America, and Sisters in Crime. He also runs the Noir at the Bar series for Washington, D.C., and is hosted and spoken at a variety of crime fiction, writing, and publishing events nationwide. He was born in Panama and now lives and writes in and generally about the D.C., Maryland, Virginia Triangle. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And that reminds me that I really need to uh, shorten my bio. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I, what I know about you is it could have been a lot longer because uh, you've done so much. But, you know, this is uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you play so many roles in the writing community. And so, you know, we're going to talk about all of them. But let's start where I always start on this podcast. And that's when did you say to yourself you wanted to be a writer? So it was way back in 1997, which doesn't seem way back to me, but um, (laughs) I know it is for a lot of other people. Um, And I just finished college and I was working full time. I was answering phones and I was miserable. I just hated it. (laughs) And I started, that's when I started writing seriously. That's when I started writing every day. And I did it kind of in the you know, way of um, looking for sort of a release or something to do, a way to to vent frustration. You know, I'd enjoyed writing. I studied it in college, but it was never something that I thought I could do on any kind of a professional level. Um, And then, you know, it was just, I I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write a novel. I had a theme I wanted to to write about. And um, that was, that, that really was sort of what spurred me for the next few years. And did you, you said you'd studied in college, but, you know, wanting to write a book and writing a book, <laughs> it's a, quite the leap. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. How did you go from writing every day and, and, you know, really sort of diving into that to, to, to writing the book? Did you take classes? Did you, you know, just develop a practice? How, how did you make that leap? So the way I did it, uh, it's important that nobody do it the way I did because <laughs> I made so many, I made a big mistake was that I wrote 
you know, every day and I, I took a couple of classes, you know, I, I never got an MFA, but I took right. graduate level writing courses. Um, and I at George Mason, which has the, a great program at um, John Copenhaver, Tara Laskowski, Art Taylor all came out of there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was so I, I took a couple of classes there. I took classes at other schools um, and they they all helped but I never got a formal degree. Um, and I didn't really want to go that route. You know, I was writing every day. Mm -hmm. I was reading all the time and I was in this wonderful state where you, you don't really know the rules, you know, you're learning them and you're, you're, you're teaching yourself as you go and everything, you know, you're, I was reading so much and I wasn't reading really, you know, I, I don't know. It wasn't like it wasn't with a critical eye, but it was with just an engaged eye. I loved, I loved so much, and I was so blown away by so much that I was reading. You know, I was learning more, and I would spend every weekend. Yeah, you know, I, I, I sort of when I came to this area to the D.C. region, I, I quickly fell in love with Baltimore, and I was determined mm -hmm. to write about Baltimore, have that factor in my work. So every weekend, I would go to that city, and I would walk around, and I, I made a point of walking down every single street in Baltimore. Um, and it, it's always, you know, after that, it's factored in my work, but sort of the romanticized view I had of that city was sort of necessary for my development as a writer, and when mm -hmm. I when I say don't do it the way I did, I also wrote in a cave. I kept not literally, but I imagined that when I finished, I would emerge like Moses with commandments, <laughs> and people would gather around and want to see what I'd inscribed. And it took me a long time. You know, had I had I gone, had I joined organizations, had I gone to conferences, had I talked to other writers, yeah. I I would have saved myself a lot of effort. So the lessons that I learned organically, I would have been taught, and mm -hmm. uh, or, organic lessons just take longer. The, you know, I, yeah. I always encourage people to, you know, we taught we call it a tribe, but find find your group, find that those group of people who can steer you. Yeah, that's such great advice. And and you certainly have um, created several, been part of a lot of communities and created several. But let's, I'm still, I'm fascinated with your, your journey. Was it always crime fiction that you were writing or, or, you know, did you, were you interested in other genres as well? I started out wanting to write literary fiction, you know, and I, I was raised on, you know, the canon. So it was mm -hmm. all, and, and I was really enamored with 20th century uh, American fiction. So your Hemingway's, Faulkner, Fitzgerald, you know, and, and that was, and, and, and the, the programs that I was with, the, the college program I was with and the classes really steered you away from genre fiction. They, you know, they either sort of looked down on it or they only considered a couple of writers from any genre, um, you know, important. And that was something that, you know, I, I, I sort of took to heart. And then once I began to kind of, you know, read more and more widely, I read Sujata Massey and I read, you know, because I was looking for writers in the area. So Sujata mm -hmm. Massey and Laura Lippman, um, and then later, uh, a guy named Nick Corpon, who writes really fantastic noir fiction in, in Baltimore, they, uh, I realized like Megan Abbott was like, these writers are writing as good, if not better than the, 
literary fiction I'm reading, you know, and, and when I wrote my literary fiction, it wasn't very good. And the only parts of it that were good were the parts that involve crime. <laughs> and I realized like, that's what I'm drawn to. And that's what I read. And that's what I was steered away from, but I went back and embraced it. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's I, sort of where I found my voice, I think. Well, I love Baltimore being a muse because it's a really interesting city um, to use as a muse. And when Homicide Life on the Streets and, and The Wire, and I mean, there have been some amazing shows set in Baltimore, too, that sort of as crime writers, uh, you know, I, I think can add a lot of fuel as well. And I, you know, I, I realized like... Baltimore is spoken for. I mean, a city can have a lot of voices like Baltimore has, you know, from one block, you'll have David Simon and Laura Lippman and, and then you'll have Ann Tyler and then you'll have John mm -hmm. Waters and you have, you know, three incredibly disparate voices in a very small city. Um, but truthfully, you know, after, you know, when I was starting to write, that was in like the, and, and trying in the early 2000s, I, I didn't really, I didn't, published till 20, I don't know, late 2010s. Um, and at that point, you know, I wasn't going to Baltimore every weekend. I, I wasn't mm -hmm. familiar with the city anymore. And it, it became, it, it still factors in my writing, but it's not the, uh, not, not the presence that it was. Um, and that's, that's fine because I'm not, I, that's not the, the story that it, Baltimore is not the, the story I can tell anymore. Yeah, no, I, Excellent. You know, I mean, the list of writers who claim Baltimore uh, that you just gave is is a pretty, uh, pretty accomplished list. Oh, it's amazing. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, but it is it's that region, um, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, D.C. I mean, it's a it's it's everything's there, all different sorts of cities and and locations and there are mountains and there's water and there's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty rich environment. It's weird for me because I, I grew up in, well, I grew up, but I, I spent high school in Arizona, in Southern Arizona. And, you know, Arizona, you go, you're in a city or a town mm -hmm. and then you drive through the desert and you come to another city or town and you drive through yeah. the desert. And that's kind of how that, that Western area of the country is. And here I could leave my house and if I, you know, it's still confusing to me, even though I've been here so much longer now. Um, it's strange to me that I would have no idea if I hadn't lived here for so long that I was going from one city to another because you're just, you're staying in buildings the whole yeah. time. There's nothing separating yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing but traffic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very slow, arduous journey. Yeah, that beltway is not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so you wrote, you know, you started publishing in the 2010s. What was what was that, you know, did you because you write short and you write long, you know, you were figuring stuff out. So tell me a little bit about, you know, developing your craft there as well. So it was um it, it took a bit, you know, my, my first book, uh, took like five years and when it was ready, uh, nobody liked it and they were right not to, they, that was fine. <laughs> that book never saw the light of day and that's, that's okay. Um, although I did love it. Um, and that was sort of my, but I still love that book. Um, but that was like my writing class book. That, that book was my MFA. And then, uh, I, after that didn't, 
uh, get any interest from anyone. I wrote a commercial book that was terrible. And um, that one got an agent and it didn't get picked up. And the agent and I sort of amicably parted ways. And then um, I had two books and this is sort of instructional for writers with a, with a smaller publisher. And I was really excited. They, um, and the books just um, the, the publisher was was really 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 small, and they didn't do any marketing or promotions, and the books just came out and died, and mm-hmm. I was a bit jaded from that. But I used those books to sort of join organizations and meet other writers, and then I realized that's when I realized the importance of community. Um, yeah. So after that. Uh, I, the second book led to an agent, to my agent now. Um, and I started writing, and then I wrote uh, another book, The Unrepentant, that came out through Down and Out Books. Um, and then my next novel after that went through Crooked Lane. So they were going from like smaller publishers to bigger to, you know, kind of mid-sized with Crooked Lane. But because of that, those first two books that came out with that tiny publisher um, that didn't do anything, uh, you know, I was dogged by low sales. Um, and they said, you know, we we think it's going to be hard to place these books um, in bookstores. So we want you to write it under a pen name. And mm. I did. And I think pen names are, are fine. I, I think they're great. I don't have an issue with pen names, but it was it was. For me, I did it the wrong way with a pen name. My journey, oh my gosh, it sounds like I'm just made mistake after mistake after mistake. <laughs> I'm like, and then I walked into a wall and I fell down a hole. <laughs> and no, I got my I think foot you're stuck in a Doritos bag. <laughs> well, and those things happen too. Yeah. But I think you're being generous with the journey with your conversation because it's not like you just pop out and say, oh, and it's easy and it all gets figured out. I mean, it's a roller coaster. Good. I should just be like, man, yeah, no, it was, you know, an angel spoke to me and I wrote it down (laughs) and then a publisher. (laughs) No, so, but I I also want people to know about every, you know, aspect of the journey because I've had a lot of good experiences, but I think it's important to know, like, you know, with the pen name, um, I did it wrong. You know, I, I, I try to build myself up in the, the, the DC, Maryland, Virginia community. And I, I should have, there, there's a smart way to do a pseudonym and a dumb way. And the dumb way was the way I did it, where I really didn't distinguish it from my own writing. And I was very open about it and transparent. And I think for this case, it would have made more sense to have it be a, a completely separate thing. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been the approach to take. I didn't. And so the pseudonym really was just kind of like, everyone was like, why did you do that? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what the, <laughs> so, you know, I should have, I should have done it differently, but then um, th- those books did better and better. You know, they, they sold well. Uh, and the, uh, that led to the, next book coming up with Thomas and Mercer, uh, No Home for Killers. And they were like, if you want to go back to your own name, that's fine. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. That's, <laughs> that, that just seems easier for me. <laughs> um, when you chose your pseudonym, did you, uh, was it 
were you still Ed? I mean, did people still, <laughs> did you get confused when people called you that name or, or, you know, did it, was it a name that at least you could respond to? Yeah. I mean, I always, I kept EA. I, I go by yeah. EA and I don't do it for any, like, I, I wish people were like, why, why, you know, sometimes a reader will be like, well, why do you go by EA and not Ed? Or I'm like, I, I wish I had a good reason. I just don't like how Ed looks at print. That's the yeah. only reason. I have no other like, you know, not like, oh, well, my hero's my hero's EM Forrester. You know, there's nothing like that. It's just I don't like how Ed looks. Um and and my birth name is Eduardo. Though, and you know, I mean, you know, frankly, I'm I'm just not hot enough to be an Eduardo though, at this point in my life. You know, like an Eduardo though is that's a sexy name. That's like a nine out of ten, and I'm like a six. You know, I and and that's generous. So you know, I can't I can't be Eduardo though, Amar. I I'm EA Amar. That's about right. That's about yeah. where I fit in. That's you know. Um, so I I kept EA for the pseudonym, but I just changed the last name um, to Bars EA Bars and. Um, it wasn't, it, it wasn't really confusing, except um, I always, because people are always like, well, should I call you EA when I'm doing like an interview or an event? And I'm like, no, that sounds weird. Just call me Ed. So I don't know. I'm all screwed up with the name. I should just come by Ed, Ed or Eduardo. Though. Or Eduardo. Well, it's, you know, this is, uh, this is a journey and a learning process. And I, 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, as somebody with three names, uh, that I, I can certainly, uh, certainly hear you about the pseudonym. Uh, Yours makes sense. Conversation. Well, it's, you know, publishers, this is, we're talking, we've both started talking about the business of a side of, of writing. I mean, it's, it's, something like nobody nobody prepares you for this stuff right nobody says and at some point if you have low sales you may need to write under a different name or you know i mean it's all of these these things that you learn as you're going and it is helpful to join an organization but it's still you have to learn it yourself you do and there's no you know there's no um it's not math right there's no answer right. that is the the finite answer that leads you there um and for most of us you know there's going to be um there there're going to be obstacles and you have to figure out how to navigate them and um and there's also the, the very hard thing for me about publishing not writing but publishing is that and and this was something i realized early on and it's actually why i took classes was because there's no guarantee of reward. And, and that was something like I started writing right out of college. So I came right from an academic lifestyle where you were, um, you were rewarded for doing good work. You know, you study hard, mm -hmm. you get an A, you study, yeah. uh, you, you, you put an effort and it pays off. And, you know, it was very disillusioning to learn that, I might put in a ton of work, the most work I've ever had an end to anything and no, and got, get a reward for it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I had to, and, and that's what, you know, you mentioned writing short fiction, That that's also, so I went to classes to, to help with that, to give me a sense of accomplishment. <laughs> and then I wrote short fiction for the same thing because you, I, your first novel goes out there, it's on submission and that being on submission is almost always a very agonizing process. Mm -hmm. 
I, it, what I always tell writers when they're doing that is give yourself something else. Give yourself a, a reward because you're going to need proof. Everybody gets mm-hmm. rejected. Even, even now I, I get rejections for, for, you know, a column or something. Um, that's fine, but you have to give yourself something to like to prove to yourself when those doubts come. You know, like I, I can do this. I, I have stuff to say, and I, and I can say it well. Well, and I find it really interesting. This is something, <clears throat> you know, I worked in the performing arts for years, yeah. and so I would tell my students there. But you know, I tell other folks, you can't equate your success as an artist with the business side no. because it is so arbitrary, um, and it's a craft. So I love that you're talking about learning by doing. Um, because in the arts, you don't have to have an MFA. You need, because you have to write. I mean, it's nothing can shortcut that. Um, you could certainly make, you know, hone your craft and you can make connections and things like that. But, but it's the writing itself that's the lesson in the way you learn. Um, and you know, so I, I love that you taught, you're talking about that as well, that you, you know, you, you took classes when you needed to, but also you just kept writing. Yeah, I mean, and that was the thing, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't think I'm, you know, the smartest person, right? And, but I, I generally don't think I'll be outworked. So with mm-hmm. that, and, and and I say that more as a measurement to myself because I know a lot of writers that work hard, and 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 that's mm-hmm. not to say that you know they might work longer hours than I do, but for myself, my own measurement, I know I'm mm-hmm. you know I know what yeah. hard work is for me and what isn't, and you know so you you sit down and you keep doing the work, um, yeah. and and the you know the the for me the important thing is has always been. And I think because it took me so long to get published, to not find, to make sure that I find my rewards in writing. Mm-hmm. Because you can't get let one discourage the other. You know, you, you can't control your publishing fate. You know, I mean, so much of it's out of your control. It's crazy. <laughs> but um, you can control your writing. Mm-hmm. And and that's why also, you know, those little rewards, those short stories that get published, the other pieces that go up, um, you know, the other projects that you that you take on, the, those those are really nourishing for that. Yeah. Yeah. And you are um, you know, you you continue to to work in a lot. You write your column and short pieces and noirs at the bar and your your novels. Um, tell me about the evolution of that. Like how did you sort of um was build community and you really um embrace that. You embrace being part of a community and shaking it up when you need to and having conversations and and being an active member of the community. Um, you know, how has that fueled you and 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 what drives you there? Well, it's really strange because honestly, I just, I, sometimes I just effing hate writers. You know, I, <laughs> I go through social media and I'm going to roll my eyes out of my head. I'm like, yeah, I know, hashtag blessed. I know, I know you're, you're stunned and astonished that you were nominated for an award, something like that. And I'm like rolling my eyes. But, but I know that I'm just being like a grump. Right. And that's not really how I feel. And it's nothing worth it. It's just me being like, you know, sarcastic or sardonic or something. So I'm like, it's whatever. It's it's fine. I but I never thought, you know, I always found 
I, I think when I was when I was in in you know taking those writing classes, I I, I think that's where it started because I think I found writers, you know, kind of, you know, very sort of like you know, kind of like a mirror image of me and like hoping to get published and, and, and failing and dejected. And I was always like, Oh, you know, these, these people are just bringing me down, man. And then once I got, but I, I think a lot of those people were also, um, probably didn't pursue writing beyond that. Right. It wasn't their thing. They were they were like like, you know, a kid who like signs up for piano and like quits it after a couple of months, you know, which which I've done. I quit piano and and many other things. (laughs) But so to a serious piano player, I'm sure there was that that person was like, God, that that guy was awful. But um, I, I found that for me, it was, you know, once I once I got once I I took it really seriously, then I met other writers taking it seriously. And 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 you know, those were people I really admired. I looked mm-hmm. up to, I, I still do, you know, I read writers who are, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It, it's amazing to be, to, to have the, your heroes as your peers. I think yeah. nothing, nothing beats that, you know, for me to, to talk to somebody like Jennifer Hillier, who's, you know, one of my closest friends now, uh, you know, a writer that I, that I wrote a fan letter to, you know, and now yeah. we talk all the time and, and, and it, it's, it, and I can sort of hold my own with these people. I, I remember, yeah. you know, I mentioned Jess Lowry other earlier, and I think it was after the Unrepentant came out, and I was at a conference at Murdered Mayhem in uh, Chicago, I think, and Jess Lowry and Lori Rader Day and um, Su- Susie Susanna Calkins and all, all these writers that I admire. We're, we're all together hanging out at the bar and I was with them. And I realized like, oh my God, I'm with these writers. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I deserve to be here. I belong here. I, yeah. I, nothing beat that. I, the community is so wonderful. And, um, and, and I, you know, I, you, when you find something good, you want to share it. You want to mm-hmm. experience it more. So the, the, it means the world to me to be part of it. Yeah. Um, and I think the staying power is part of it, right? You got to, you just got to stay in the trenches, even if it's not working for you, um, which is hard. Uh, tell me about your writing process. So for me, it's, you know, I'm, uh, I'm like really, really detailed and organized. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly at the point where I have to have all of my pencils pointing the exact same way on my desk, but I'm like a step removed. I'm like really <laughs> close. So like, I'm the only person I know who has a day planner that the, for their weekends, you know, I, um, I have everything. I'm very meticulous like that. And I get very upset if I'm out of my routine. Like I don't do well traveling. I don't do well with surprise. Having a kid was a a very uh, shaky (laughs) experience for me. So I I really, um, I, you know, I, when it comes to plotting versus pantsing, I'm a plotter, you know, Mm -hmm. I have a, I, I put together an outline, I start writing and then I usually will outline like the very first, let's say it's a book in, five parts i'll outline the first part and then write mm-hmm. it and then that informs because it'll it'll change once it's on the page the, the second and through the rest of the book are then plotted and i i worry sometimes that well you know 
you, you, you might kill inspiration or you might kill something, you know, but it, that doesn't really happen for me. It, it generally, I, if I'm not, if I'm not enjoying what I'm writing, if I'm not surprising myself, then it's not going to work. And that usually I keep a, a pretty careful eye on that. Um, so yeah, I, I really am a believer in that. I will say that there is a moment usually though where a different idea approaches if within the story you know usually because it's crime fiction it's somebody dying mm-hmm. but i'm like oh my gosh if that character died that would be and it, and it just it, it'd be it'd be too much but that's sort of what i have to do then you know that's yeah. the thing that really like that doesn't seem like you know the kind of thing that you should do it would really throw everything out of whack but that's right when you realize that it's kind of a burning feeling yeah in you. I'm intrigued by when you said it's a novel in five parts. Do you um, do you think of you know the story as five acts, and that's how you're doing? Explain the five parts thing. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't five parts. I meant let's say it's a novel in five parts, but okay. it could be. I I think generally I do three to four. Um, okay. And that's usually because I write, I tend to write shorter chapters because I like the feeling of accomplishment. So I, and I think shorter chapters are sort of kind of seems where literature and, and crime fiction especially are going. But I agree. for me, that's, that's kind of the thing. And it's, you know, it follows a very basic story pattern of it's usually the three part structure and I'll stretch out like the middle part for two, for two parts. Typically, that's because I tell two stories at the same time. I almost always have double perspectives. And um, those perspectives will start out in different places. And then when they intersect, that, you know, is usually like kind of the heartbeat of the story and where things get good. But I, I like to play with that um, a bit. And then, I, you know, I was surprised. I, I, I got a really nice review uh, from... PW or Kirk, I forget, but they said, you know, that that the they really admired the plotting. And I was like, oh, I think I'm a terrible plotter. I do not, I, I think it's because I write crime fiction, I write thrillers, I can't write mysteries precisely because mysteries are so intricately plotted. So for me, I I realized that writing with the two perspectives and then having them meet seems like a very complicated plot. And if you look at it from the back to the beginning, then it is. But I do it the way I do it. I'm telling one story and then another story. And I'm like, oh, they should just meet here. And to me, it, it just makes sense. Um, I think it's a way to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> and do you write that your entire one perspective first? Or do you do you switch off when, as you're writing? Does that make sense? Do you write all in one perspective the entire book and then write the second one and then work on the the melding no i i switched through uh through them and and the reason i do that is because there there are two books that i loved growing up were thrillers you know i I, the first thriller writer i read and i read everything by him was david morrell and that was Mm -hmm. one of the first writers i read uh and then uh i read when i was you know in college those canon writers uh and and the people I liked were like John Updike and Ann Tyler, and they wrote, you know, very domestic books. And 
I love sort of the domestic side of literature. So one story is almost always the person who has a comfortable life and is drawn into this world. And then the other perspective is the thriller perspective. And that's the person who lives in that world. And I'm so I'm trying to do something that doesn't quite work, <laughs> which is tell two different types of genres in one. Um, but that's sort of where I, you know, where I go. And it, it becomes a, a push, right? Because you have to, I have to make the thriller story match the domestic story and vice versa. Mm-hmm. The two have mm-hmm. to have to play well together. So they inform each other. And it gives me the chance to write two things that I really enjoy. I love that. I think that's awesome. Um, and the thriller aspects are, you know, just for folks listening, saying, okay, what's the difference between a thriller and a mystery? Um, the thriller is, you know, the reader sometimes knows more than the characters and you're moving at a breakneck pace to solve an issue or to, to you know, diffuse the bomb or to yeah. do whatever. Um, and how do you come up with your ideas for thrills? Cause I, I thrillers are very, I love reading them. They're very hard to write for some of us. I, I'm not sure, you know, and I, and I don't mean to sound like the muse whispers to me or, you know, nothing like that. I just, I don't know. Like the, the next, you know, I, I, I had an idea for, for no home for killers. It's uh, three stories really. And, and I, we changed it down to two perspectives, but the story is uh, a jazz musician is a famous abusive jazz musician is killed and his two estranged sisters, one who's a uh, burned out uh, former domestic worker, or I'm sorry, former social worker and her sister, um, a secret vigilante are drawn together to find out what happened to him. Um and I think for that one, it, it really came out of stuff I wanted to write about. You know, I've music, jazz music in particular was a big part of my life. And I've mm-hmm. always wanted to write about music and a musician. And then, um, you know, the, I, I think I just like superheroes. So the vigilante sort of came out of that. Yeah. And then I, my sister-in-law is a social worker and she talked about a lot of her, her, you know, cases and, and, and sort of the burnout and the turnover that profession Mm -hmm. has. And though, I think those are the three things that really led to or led to it, but I don't know. I also had just an idea for a a mask that this vigilante would wear. Um, And I, I was like, well, I don't think I could really write about that in a serious book, but then I was like, ah, screw it. We'll see. I, I really wanted to write with this book. I just wanted to write something that I really wanted to write. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I felt like with The Unrepentant, that was a book I wrote, but it was a very dark book. It was about sex trafficking and it was, it, it wasn't a book club book. And then They're Gone was really an attempt to be much more of a commercial thriller. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still wanted to write something that was very much my book, but I wanted to write something that, you know, people could read without needing like a whole bunch of trigger warnings on the back. And then with this book, it's, it, you know, I was like, I'm not... I just want to write a book for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that'll work out. 
<laughs> well, it's exciting, right? Thomas and Mercer is a, a, a big publisher and they, they throw a lot of support behind authors. And so that's really exciting. I mean, are, you know, it's coming out in 2023. Are you, um, you know, how, how's that feeling? Cause that's a, this feels like a moment in your writing career, right? Yeah. I mean, they've been wonderful to work with. You know, I, uh, my editor there, uh, Jessica Triple Wells is fantastic. I, 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 I've, I've, I've had the fortune to work with really good people in publishing and, and she's certainly one of them. I mean, she knows, she just dove into the book. She understood what I was trying to say and she helped me say it better, which is really the mark of a, of a good editor. And and that goes on down. I mean, everybody there has been so fantastic and you, you kind of expect that, right? Because it's Amazon and you expect it's going to be sort of a, a very, you know, well trod, you know, path to publication. And you do that. That is the case. But they're also very, um, it, it's not, it's not formulaic, you know, mm-hmm. in that way. They're, they're very attentive and individual. So that, that's been, that's been really nice. And yeah, the support, the support's been great. Well, I think it's also, you know, the premise of the book with the two sisters coming together and having different, you know, different journeys and, and all that, that's, um, that's also kind of a lovely way to add to a thriller. Yeah. You know, I mean, having that dynamic of, of sisters trying to figure out what happened to their brother and they're, they're, you know, one could argue that a social worker is as much a hero as a vigilante oh, yeah. um, in the work. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because, you know, when they like, I'm, I'm a dude and I'm writing, you know, I generally, my books almost always have, uh, female protagonists and you know some of that i i feel a little uneasy about that at times because well for one thing i read i mean almost primarily i read not well i guess woman writers and Mm -hmm. i i don't think i can do what they do as well as they do you know i i don't have the insights i don't have the perception i and and i'm not trying to do that but you know, it makes me sometimes wonder, like, you know, should I be, should I be writing about, you know, a 47 year old Panamanian American guy? (laughs) Should I just stay entirely in my, my wheelhouse? But, uh, you know, it's, these, these are the characters that really draw me, that inspire Mm -hmm. me. And some of that comes because, you know, when I wrote The Unrepentant, I did a, a ton of research into sex trafficking. And, and, you know, I, and, and as a crime fiction writer, I read about crime and about violent crime. And, you know, I, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, frankly, it's hard for me to, to, to sometimes put men in the role of, of heroes if I feel I'm being true to what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. Um, now, at the same time, I don't want to write woman that I'm masculinizing. Is that the right yeah. word? <laughs> you know, I want I want them to be to be authentic and real. So it's it, in a way it, it makes me you know nervous if I'm doing it right. But that for me is is very much part of the challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's when readers, you know, beta readers and editors come in too, right? To make sure you're getting the voice right and and to to offer you some some thoughts on that. If if you if you're not, I mean, every writer 
if we only wrote what we know, they would be boring books. Yes. Um, so every writer can do this. You just have to do the work to make sure it's authentic. And I, I, I've been fortunate. You know, I mentioned I've been, I've worked with really good people. I mean, they've all been women and all of my early readers and my editors have been women. And, and, they are very quick to call me out on my male BS, which which does happen. <laughs> you know, I, I've said this before, but for me, the, the most important note I can get, the most, not the most, but the one of the, the the notes in editing that I like the most is a little note on the side that just says, I don't think I would do this. And I'm like, oh, I that fascinates me. That that's the that's the whole reason I think I'm writing from these perspectives. Is like what what's not right there? What what is yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love that. I, I love, um, I, I, I love, you know, figuring out what it, you know, learning, I guess. And you need to be open to criticism. Was, was that part of a journey for you too? Were you always open to, um, you know, critiques or, or was that something that you've developed as you've developed as a writer? I mean, I'm pretty passive, so you can just like insult me and I'd be like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm not Canadian, but I could be. Um, but, That's a t-shirt slogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think criticism was that much of a bother to me. I do remember those, you know, first writing workshops. I remember one where, you know, you give your stories in and then you come back a week later. And I remember standing outside the classroom and just terrified terrified of going in and 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 not ever and re- thinking at that time like i've never felt this scared about something like this i don't know what the big deal is but i was terrified and you know it i i had my very first one of my very first writing professors who became a mentor uh, was a writer, professor at Mason named Alan Chuse, who was also uh, the book reviewer for NPR's All Things Considered. And he was a vicious, vicious uh, teacher. And he, he would, his class, I remember his, I went to his, I was in his advanced fiction class, started out with 20 students. And by the end of week two, there were 12 of us, nine or 12. And the others had just dropped out. And he said, this is going to be boot camp for writers. And his way of teaching, I mean, it was like the Bobby Knight approach to teaching isn't something that I would do or recommend, but, and I wouldn't endorse it, but it, it, it's what, you know, sort of shaped me. And mm-hmm. after his class, I never really worried about criticism because I had no one, you know, saying like, this is pure shit. You know, I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> nothing was that bad anymore. Um, so it, criticism, you know, to an extent can always sting, but I do find it, you know, useful. It, it, it's very hard to, to balance because, mm-hmm. For me, some writers I know, you know, will read something or, or get advice or feedback. And it, for me, it's very hard not to have that shape you and yeah. shape your writing. Yeah. Th- that's something that that's a, that's an important lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let somebody else write your book for you. Yeah. And, and at the same time to take like, like to understand, you know, like if you're, you know, and I tell us when I lead workshops now, I say like, you're going to hear you know, you're going to get feedback and most of it probably won't be stuff that, that is going to be that pertinent to you, but there's definitely going to be one thing here 
something's going to come up and it's going to stay with you. And it's going to be a very important advice. And it'll probably be from the teacher of the class, you know, but it, whatever it is, just make sure you take that one thing. I find that now, maybe you do too. You know, no matter how long you've been in writing, you go to workshops or not workshops, you go to like conferences and panels and you sit there and they, you know, they do over and over the same types of, you know, so are you a pamster or a plotter? You know, uh, yeah. how to make a, you know, how to write, you know, likable characters, blah, blah. And you're like, I've heard this before, but I haven't heard from these writers. And there's always one little nugget, always yeah. one thing. I'm like, oh, Yeah. I totally crib Jess Lowry's uh, um, Arise advice. (laughs) It's like, that is so good. See, even now, I'm like, that was perfect. Yeah, no, that's, and so for Sisters in Crime members, um, look in the um, webinar archives on her editing uh, webinar because she talks about that system and it's really good. It's so good. I wrote it down. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Um, so you teach and you write and you do, what's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten? And what's your favorite piece of writing advice to give? Uh, well, the worst piece of writing advice was criticism, uh, where somebody, where a teacher who I liked a lot told me I, I shouldn't write. And this was early, early, early on. And he told it, he said in front of the class. And it just destroyed me, you know? I mean, it actually, it didn't destroy me, but it did. Well, for one thing, I didn't know he was talking about me. <laughs> so it was really sad. He was telling the story. He's like, let's say he was like talking about leading a class. And he was like, let's say you have a writer in there who's not very good. Let's call him Ed. And he's writing this. And I'm sitting there just nodding like, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, when should he quit? You know, is he, and everyone's looking at me and I'm just nodding like, yeah, when should this guy quit? And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shoot, he's talking about me. Wow. <laughs> it hit me. I was like, wait a minute. That was, it didn't really occur to me. You know, I didn't, like I said, I, I, I didn't like storm out or anything. I just, I just kind of sat there quietly. Wow. And I was like, that was probably the worst piece of, of writing advice I got. Um, the best piece of writing advice, I think, and, and this is such a cliche, but I'm going to give something else after that, that that's not a cliche, um, was about finding your groups, you know, finding people. Mm-hmm. I, I always say that now. And it's, again, it's something I should have done earlier on. I mean, writing is a very solitary thing. And I think you have to accept that. I know, I know some people who are like, I like to write, but I also like when they're beginning, but I also like to be around people. I, the idea of writing alone all the time bothers me. I'm like, you kind of have to get past that. Yeah. Um, but the best piece of the, the piece of advice I like to give out the most um is you know you have to have a location and that's so basic but you know when i when i review like short fiction or short stories a lot of times a writer will will not have the location and just have the conversation between characters and and the thought is that they're focusing the the story on the characters but they're not because location informs character you know if if you mm-hmm. write crime fiction a murder in hawaii is going to be different than a murder in delaware or a murder in chicago mm-hmm. or a murder in arizona you know it's it, your characters are informed by that your story is richer by it i always tell people like you don't have to love 
where you're writing, uh, where your story takes place. You don't have to hate it. You might not like it, but you have to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, your 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 location mm-hmm. won't be shouldn't be a character that that the people say that sometimes. I don't think that's quite true or something to strive for, but it it's got to matter. Mm-hmm. It has to matter. Um, and I I think that's one thing. I mean, American fiction. Well, I think Flannery O'Connor said, you know, it's defined by regionalism. Yeah. And and that's yeah. so true. Yes. Yes. I, I, I so agree. I mean, you know, writing a story in the woods of Maine and writing a story in, you know, the mountains of Tennessee, they're both rural, but it's going to be two different stories. Absolutely. You're so right. I mean, and, and that's the thing, like you're, you shouldn't, you know, you, you almost shouldn't be able to, to take the same story and set it someplace else. Like say, well, this isn't working for Tennessee. So I'm going to put it in New York City. Like that shouldn't, if that works, then it's probably not a good story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice. That's really great advice. Um, So do you write every day? Yeah, I do. Um, And it's really terrible because I I sort of hate this about myself, but I get up at like four and I write and I'm somebody who really enjoys laziness. Like if I'm standing up, it's usually because I'm just looking for someplace else to sit. Like there's not a lot of movement here. (laughs) So for me, like, you know, getting up early is sort of like the antithesis to everything I believe in, but it's the only time I have. You know, uh, like I got a kid and, and I want to see my kid, you know, I, um, and uh, my wife, I like to see her too. And, uh, you know, so I get up at four, I write for a couple hours then I go to my day job. Um, well, I get the kid ready for, go to my day job. Then I come home and usually at the end of the day, I'm, I'm too grumpy to write. And (laughs) I just want to chill and like, I help the kid with his schoolwork and then, um, you know, and then I just want to like eat and watch TV yeah. or something, read, you know. Well, I mean, it's, again, that's great. That's important to talk about, right? I mean, you got to make the time to <laughs> to to do this and it's work. Um, and, you know, at 4 a.m., I mean, I couldn't do it, but. Um, oh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I always tell myself, like, this isn't sustainable. (laughs) Well, I had a conversation on here with Rachel Housel Hall, and she does the same thing. She wakes up because she's got a job and she's got family and everything else. So she knows that those quiet hours in the morning are hers and she can focus. I just fear that, you know, it sucks because everyone's right. Your mind is sharper than your, you know, know. the the quietness of the morning and stuff. Like it's, it's sort of beautiful. And uh, oh my gosh, I, I I can't believe I said that. That's like me saying like, man, nothing like a nice run. Gross. <laughs> don't don't wanna, you hate when that stuff's true? It's wanna, like eating well does make you feel I better. Know, <laughs> I know, but at what cost, Julie? You know, I mean. <laughs> well, maybe I'll try like 6 a.m. And, and see how that goes. But I, you know, 4 a.m. But again, you've got a family. I mean, this is the, this, this is an important balancing act, you know, and, and you're prioritizing your writing as well. Well, I think there's also that, that alone time is just so important. And I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not an, an introvert, you know, I'm, I'm an extra. I like people to a, to a degree, 
but there's something about those hours where you're alone. Like I used to write at night before I had a kid, you know, I would write like till from like seven to 10 or something. And, and those hours alone are just, I don't know. It, it's, I remember reading a story by, Oh, what's his name? The guy with his name, Graham Greene. I was say two G's. He wrote, he wrote spy books. <laughs> Graham Greene, he wrote about a writer who he would write during the day and he'd come out of his writing room and his wife, it was from his wife's perspective. And she would always see that he was red faced with excitement. And when he was done and I was like, and yeah, I mean, when you get that point, it's neat, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's nice. It's, it's fun to experience that. Yeah. And probably makes you more pleasant for your family to be around. I mean, didn't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're not a miracle worker here, but. <laughs> so your, um, your next, your book is coming out in 2023. And, uh, you know, we're halfway done 2022. So it feels like you're, you're going to be starting. Are you working on something else now? Um, cause I also, you know, edits and copy edits and proofs and all that kind of stuff. So you're in the swim with all that, but are you working on another book as well? Yeah. So I'm on a two book deal with uh, Thomas and Mercer and the second book's due in December. Um, generally it takes me, my timeline has always, has usually been about a year and a half for a novel. So this is not a year and a half. <laughs> it's going to be tough. But I, I feel like I, I'm working on the second book, and and I, I don't know. The story is coming very organically to me. It, it feels very uh, natural and sort of in my bones. So that that that's encouraging. You know, I'm not really struggling with the concept or anything. Um, so that's due in December, and then. I don't know. I have this really, I'm, I'm trying something new, which is kind of co-writing something, but not with oh. a writer from here, a fantastic writer, Eliza uh, Nellums. And it, we're not, we're not working on that. We're, we're trying to figure out how we can do it without hating each other. Cause we're friends. <laughs> so we're like, we're all going to alternate chapters and maybe just tell different stories, but we can't do the whole thing where you like share the same prose. I mean, yeah. we would, we would yeah. strangle each other, but no. yeah. So I, I like to, like I said earlier, you know, I, I like to do, I like to have a few different things going yeah. on at the same time. Yeah. I wish you, I wish you luck with that and look forward to hearing how it goes. Cause that's, that's a leap, right. To write with somebody else. That's, that's a lot. Well, if this doesn't work out, then it's going to make a really good true crime story for one of us about how we, <laughs> one of us killed the other. <laughs> Exactly. I, that'll be that'll be a fun that read. Yeah. Or you could each write that true crime story about how you wanted to kill the other. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. We'll we'll see. But um yeah, it's it, it's a fun project and um and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, have you ever co-written anything or do you I haven't. I've thought about it, but I haven't. Um so I, I think I'll wait to hear how this goes for you because it's um I've talked about it with people, but it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's a lot to, to think about that and how you, how you would do it. Exactly what you said. Do you write separate chapters or do you try and write this? You know, do you, I don't know. Do you pick up where the other person left off or how do you do that? Hey, so, how do you get them to do most of the work while you take most yeah. of the credit? And there's always that. Yeah. That's you know? the real, the real <laughs> way to, for me to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and with a name like Amar, at least you know if you're going alphabetically, you're golden there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Definitely first. <laughs> that always works out well. 
um, thank you for such a great conversation. Thanks for all you do with the for the writing community. You know this column that you write, and just you know the noirs at the bar, and you just um, you are a breath of fresh air on oh. social media. So um, I really appreciate the conversation, and congratulations on on the new books and and that success. It's really exciting. Oh, thank you. No, and thank you so much for uh, we're doing a flattery thing here, but I this podcast is so good and it's i know how much anybody who's been part of an organization knows that it's more work than what it looks like on the surface and sisters in crime is such a great organization i love being part of it it's the it's it's the most important organization in crime fiction and i uh what you all do, how fearless you are. I'm, I'm honored to be part of it. And this podcast is so good. I was telling you beforehand, I got to put it on record though, how much I enjoy it. So <laughs> it, it's an honor to be on it. So thank oh, you, Joy. Well, you're very kind and thank you. Um, you know, and it's my honor to work with Sisters in Crime. It's, I, I, I love this organization. So thank you for your kind words and for being a member. Of course. Um, yeah. So um, I will see you at BoucherCon, I hope. Yep, I'll be there. They'll be there. And um, again, thanks for all you do and congratulations on your success. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers and we continue